Hello, everybody, and welcome to John and Todd, or Todd and John's Monday Night Therapy Session. Uh, I'm a little discombobulated because, you know, Overwatch 2 was just released, and I started playing it again, and I, I suck at everything. I have the move, I have the speed of a sloth in these hands, a drunk sloth. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I play as Zenyatta, and I play as D.Va, and that's about it. Uh, I'm sure Todd was interested to hear all this. Yeah, I have no idea, you doing, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <sighs> well, how you doing? I'm not too bad, John. had a had a busy weekend. I had a four day weekend because you know I'm one of those state employees that said you know celebrates federal holidays. So you know I didn't I didn't work today. Um, well, I didn't work on the books today, I guess so to speak. Um, but we had a busy weekend. We headed. Uh, back to Northeast Iowa and saw my granddaughter for the first time in uh, over a couple of months and, and uh, she's growing and, and it's, it was good to see, uh, good to see her and her parents and, and good to see some friends, you know, back where we spent a pretty good chunk of our life. How, how you been doing, John? How, how are things with you? Well, <laughs> uh oh, you know, I, I've been going to therapy did you know that? Well, yeah. I mean, you need to go to therapy. I get that. I, I, I have been going. I, you've gone to physical therapy. You've probably been to uh, emotional psychological therapy. All of those are good therapies for you, John. <laughs> well, in this case, it's physical therapy. I don't know what you're thinking of, but they give me. They're they're working on my balance. We're trying to get my balance figured out because every time I'm like laying down and I get up or I move around too quickly, my my balance just goes insane and it's apparently brain damage to my vestibular system. I don't know, but they give me this exercises, in which I'm supposed to strengthen and make it more efficient my brain pathways to keep my balance intact. And the problem is that these exercises they give me are just like. Uh, well, there's some kind of nightmare because they screw with your balance system. So, I mean, if you've ever had vertigo or anything like that, it's it's been fun. And, uh, you know, it's kind of it fits right in with Nebraska football season. Uh, Nebraska's football season, what you're saying there, it's out of balance or it's, it's – Yeah, it's, it's topsy-turvy. Topsy-turvy, got it. Yeah. it topsy-turvy, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. Yeah. Nebraska beat Rutgers Friday night. Did you? You didn't watch. I saw the last uh, probably eight minutes of the game. So, uh, and what did what did you think of the last eight minutes of the game? Well, Nebraska scored and won the game. So um, you know that was uh, that was a big deal. And uh, no, I I like I said, I went to a high school football game. I went and watched uh, North Fayette Valley where. Uh, I was the principal and athletic director, activities director for 11 years. And like, you know, we were up in Northeast Iowa, so I went and watched them play. Um, you know, not to dwell on that a whole lot, but uh, they had, you know, there's a course or a case of a team with, you know, some very, very high hopes this season. And they had a, a running back and he also played linebacker and, and Mr. Everything. I mean, just an outstanding player. All state his junior year. He's being recruited by some smaller colleges. He went out um, with an injury, a season-ending injury at the, towards wow. the end of uh, kind of a meaningless game that they ended up, you know, 50-pointing a team by. Um, and that, that turned their season. So they did get a win the other night. It was fun to see the boys on the positive side of the scoreboard. And 
so that was good. But yeah, I got back and um, where we were staying and I popped the, the game on and watched the last eight minutes. And, you know, I, um, you know, it was kind of interesting because I didn't feel like, you know, those last eight minutes, especially when Nebraska went ahead, it wasn't like the Keystone Cops. It wasn't like, a you know, a, a, is it racist to say a f- Chinese fire drill? I mean, I, you know. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it is no. or not, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, always before, um, it seemed like in the last few years when Nebraska got ahead, they just went faster. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of like their adrenaline was pumping and, and they, they had no idea how to pump the brakes. And so it was uh, it was really good to, to see more of a calm, relaxed kind of a of a, an approach to the to the end of the game. And Nebraska did what they needed to do. Great clock management. Um, you know, they put themselves in position to hang on to the ball, uh, got a few penalties, which were some breaks. Um, yeah. So that part of it, I thought was was a real positive. <laughs> yeah, Rutgers was dumber than we were. With that personal foul at penalty right there oh, toward the end, wasn't that, that a bad mistake? For them. That was just yeah, absolutely it was, stupid. And then they uh, today they I think they they fired their offensive coordinator. Rutgers got rid of their offensive coordinator. Rutgers well, fired that. So it's our turn to have coaches fired. So we're trading back and forth with Rutgers. <laughs> Oh my God, I forgot it's late and you're confused easily. Okay, well, did you watch any other football? I, you know, I knew you were going to ask me that question. I watched a little bit of Georgia, saw a little bit of their game. Uh, but again, I was I was traveling on the road and I was not able to catch a whole lot. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, just hold on a minute. You talk about offensive coordinators. Um, saw something today that Coach Whipple, yeah, they're concerned a little bit about his health. And uh, perhaps, you know, then again, I just read it was about his mobility and, you know, being able to get around. I, you know, they put him up. If that's the case, my guess is he'll he'll coach from the press box. But, um, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully that's not anything that causes a problem for the team. Hopefully he'll actually make it through the season. So I don't if he goes away, I don't know who's going to call the offense. I'd be a little bit concerned about that at this point. I mean, we just make a, we just look at Mickey, Mickey Joseph and say, well, we already gave the, the shit end of the stick. Here's like the shit end of everything, you know, if he goes away. But um, okay, you, you didn't watch football, so you didn't watch Wisconsin beat the ever living shit out of Northwestern. S- saw some highlights on that. And are you surprised by that, John? I was surprised it was as bad as it was. It was literally like Northwestern just decided to kind of, you know what they did? They quiet quitted, Todd. That's what they did. I think that's what they call it these days when people just go to work and they don't do anything really. Silent quitting. That's what Northwestern did against Wisconsin. And and then uh, did you see, did you see Texas? What Texas did to Oklahoma? Saw the score. Couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. Uh, and, and the only thing that's bad about that is that it was Texas and I hate them and, those, and I hate <laughs> their fans. And, and, you know, that, you know, I checked a little bit of Facebook with some people I know that are Texas fans and, oh yeah, you know, they coming out loud and strong, but you know, that did surprise me. I, I was shocked that, uh, Texas put that many, well, I was shocked that Oklahoma didn't score. I mean, that just 
that just blew my mind that they didn't score. It is, I, I don't know what the stat is, but it was like since 1998 or some bloody thing since they didn't score during a game. So uh, things look, things look really, you know, here's the thing. We lost to Northwestern at the beginning of the year. We, when we watched them run against us 18 times in a row, we thought, oh my God, Northwestern's going to be really good. And they're actually really terrible. And then Oklahoma beat the living snot out of us. And we thought, oh my God, Oklahoma's going to be a playoff team. And now Oklahoma is terrible. What, yeah. is, what is this? Well, it's, it's the curse of Scott Frost, I think. <laughs> um, you know, if, if, um, you know, he's so, he was so toxic that, um, when teams beat um, teams that were coached by him. And, and, you know, I understand he was gone when we played OU, but, you know, no, you can't, you can't. Carry you know, over. Yeah, carry over. And, um, you know, the, the teams, the three teams that have beaten Nebraska are 1-11. and 1-11 since they beat Nebraska. And, you know, that is just, that just is a stat that blows my mind. Holy smokes. Um, but you know, uh, <laughs> Oklahoma—they've got—they've got some soul searching to do. And um, you know, I don't know. I—I I would guess that Oklahoma fans were feeling pretty good about after they blew our doors off, and uh, had to be thinking that uh, they were going to have a good season. And then to have this happen, uh, you know, they got to be screaming about Venables down there. Um, but. You know, I don't know. I have no idea. I haven't seen any of the Oklahoma media to even uh, pay attention to what they're saying about what has become a disaster for them. So, well, and then there was Iowa. God, you know, <laughs> Iowa. What, what did I? I saw something. What was the score of the Iowa game? Fourteen to. I, I don't. I should have looked that one up. It was. It was low, though. Well, I saw something where, you know, between Iowa and Iowa State, they scored like 15 points. Iowa State scored nine. Uh, yep. They got beat 10 to nine by Kansas State. And then Iowa, like, scored once or something like that. Um, you know, it was nine to six. Okay, there you go, 15 points. Uh, <laughs> between the two of them, they scored 15 points. Holy crap. Um, you know, I, I love it. I love to see Iowa suffer. And uh, but it's it's one of the most baffling things I think I've ever seen, you know, how, you know, they're 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 absolutely the last rated uh, school in Division one football in total offense They're 130th. Um, you know, they can't do anything right. And, you know, they still to my knowledge, you know, Petrus has still been their starting quarterback and he's still gotten the majority of the, the, the snaps. Um, but, you know, you have an interesting dynamic over there. You know, we've, we've got some people that have said, you know, that, uh, oh, Frost, there's not Frost, Ference won't survive this season. Or, or you know, if Nebraska beats um, uh, Iowa on, on Black Friday, that'll, they'll fire Ference. Kirk Ference is not getting fired. I mean, just forget that. No. Forget that. Kirk Ference will not get fired. Um, you know, and, and but he's got this, Two ten, two ton weight, you know, on his shoulders, and that's his son Brian. Um, now, you know, it was really interesting a few years ago when uh, he even hired uh, Brian to come on to the staff. I think, you know, um, I think Brian got his feet wet a little bit in the NFL, 
uh, as an assistant coach, you know, kind of like one of those second tier assistants. And, and then he came back to Iowa and to get around Iowa nepotism rules, uh, Kirk Ferentz does not have authority over Bryant. He has no contractual um, authority over one of his top two assistant coaches. Uh, you know, I don't know what evaluations look like in Division One sports, um, but if Kirk Ferentz decided he was going to fire his son, he can't. He doesn't have the authority to fire his son. The way it was set up in Iowa to make it work is uh, Gary Barta, the uh, athletic director, is, you know, he is the one in lieu of Kirk Ferentz. So Gary Barta has those kinds of authorities over wow. over Brian Ferentz. And what you know, a, it is kind of a convoluted, but, you know, everything Iowa does is, is convoluted. I mean, you know, no athletic directors lost more for his college or university in lawsuits than Gary Barta. Um, you know, just ba basically treating women athletic programs as, as uh, you know, second tier. Um, well, Matt, that'd be fine, but I am from Iowa. No, I'm not an Iowa fan, but I am from Iowa. Um, but, you know, the whole nepotism thing with him is, is that's why you don't hire your kid. That, you know, now Kirk Ferentz isn't the first you know, Division One football coach that's had his kid on staff. I mean, Skip Holtz coached for his dad, and and there have been many others, you know, who have had a son that has coached on the staff. But I don't think there have been many, you know, that have been an offensive or defensive coordinator. And um, so, yeah, uh, this, this will get real interesting in Iowa. Iowa fans, you know, the, the average Iowa Hawkeye fan is not a Kirk Ferentz fan. They are right. Um, you 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 talk to the average guy out there wearing black and gold, and they are not Kirk Ferentz fans, and they really haven't been for quite a few years. Um, but Gary Barta is, and Gary Barta keeps extending his contract. Um, so yeah, <laughs> oh, it'd be fun if there's just more misery. <laughs> Here is a sequence from the Iowa Illinois game. Iowa punted from their own sixteen recovered a muff at the Illinois 35, went three plays for a negative six yards and punted, forced a fumble and recovered at the five, which at this point you're thinking, okay, Iowa's got a chance to win this game. Then they went four plays for negative four yards and kicked the <laughs> field goal. So this was a 15-play, minus 10-yard, 76-yard, 76-punt-yard field goal drive. I mean – I watched that. I was like, this is, I thought they recovered at the five and they're like, okay, they'll just run the ball. No, they just, they went backwards and backwards. And it was so unbelievably bad to watch. It was just, it was wonderful. It was joyous. I enjoyed every bloody freaking minute of it. Uh, no shit. Well, I'll tell you what, they've got an incredible defense. They've got very well coached special teams that execute, but that offense, oh my goodness. It's, it's, it's a stinker. Really a stinker. Oh, I forgot one of my other subjects. <laughs> okay, let's take some comments. If you guys got questions, send them in to us, and we're going to start with this very horrible question. Uh, oh, I remember it was. There were depth chart changes today. I'll put that down. Well, I had what, can you do, what can you do to fix the offensive line? John, you're, you're – uh, <laughs> 
you pay a lot more attention to the offensive line than probably anybody else at uh, coordination. So um, what's, what's the magic here, man? I don't know if you can. I really don't. You know, I woke up this morning and I thought that this question, I thought, what can we do to fix the offensive line? Uh, and I, I thought, how many linemen do we have on the roster? And then I went out and I looked at the Nebraska roster and sorted it by position. And I got to Bryce Bernhard and I saw that he was a sophomore and I collapsed and fell out of my chair and I had to lay on the floor for a half hour to recover. <laughs> And I never did figure out how many, but we have so many offensive linemen right now. I mean, Bryce Benhart played seven snaps against Rutgers and he was replaced by Hunter Anthony and Hunter Anthony would do that much better. And I just, I'm going to go back to, I mean, there's two things about the offensive line, right? You coach that teaches you what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that there's, I asked the public, you'd think that there was a way to coach offensive line that would be the right. And and that's just, it's not true. I mean, that's why Bill Callahan is widely known as one of the best offensive line coaches in football. Yeah. But what strikes me when I say that is during the pandemic, I did, I did interviews with Yoshi, Jamarcus Hardrick that played uh, tackle for us. And he plays tackle in the CFL for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And he is a Grey Cup champion. But I was asking him about technique in one of our episodes. I was asking him, right, because of the way they, it, the way offensive linemen take their first steps is extremely important for them to move back at their pass blocking and not lose leverage against the guy that's coming with them. And the way I understand it is they're supposed to step back and they put their hands like this and they punch forward. In other words, a triangle. And I said that to Yoshi and he goes, oh, you've been talking to a single puncher guy. The problem with that is the defensive comes in and he swipes your hands down as you're punching with that single punch. But he's he's gained all the advantage off of you. So you have to do it different with your hands where you're punching separately. And that right there told me, uh, he was coached by a single punch guy, and then he learned later about the multiple punch guys. And you, you'd think that this was something that just they'd all have down and agree on. And no, apparently it isn't. So well, you know, I realize that's kind of a weird, weird analogy. But uh, the bottom line is, I, I just, I don't, well, I don't think we made a very good offensive line hire. In, uh, I don't. <sighs> Well, John, I listened I don't know. to uh, I, I know. listened to Jeremiah Searles, you know, on the radio um, earlier this well over the weekend, and um, you know he made a good point, and that is, um, you know, every position on the offensive line, you know, we want to call it the offensive line, and we we you know those of us that haven't played there, those of us that haven't coached there, um, we're ignoring a lot of the in. in the details, intricacies, intricacies. That's what I was trying to say, intricacies. And because he made the comment um, about some of the young Nebraska offensive linemen, you know, and he was, you know, praising a few of them and saying, you know, a few of them have come aways and that kind of stuff. But he had also remarked about how difficult it is, you know, for them to uh, play different positions along the offensive line. And, you know, just because you're a tackle, right tackle, left tackle, you use – you know, probably similar kinds of techniques, but it's not the same because you more or less kind of mirror your technique. And, 
you know, Nebraska's are going to run certain plays to the right side, uh, and they're going to run different plays to the left side. You know, back in the days when I was playing high school football, it was very, you know, so simplified. You know, what you could do to the right, right you could do to the left, and they don't they don't work it that way anymore. But he said it. He he said he really wishes that a lot of these young offensive linemen could just stay in one position so that they can, you know, hone the techniques that they need to have to play in that position. And, you know, example that he gave was this Banks kid. You know, Banks has been, you know, he's they've had him at one time or another playing, you know, three of the five. I'm not going to say in the game, but at least practicing three of the five positions along the offensive line. And I've heard offensive line coaches saying, you know, we're going to put the best five guys out there. Well, you know, okay, are they the best five athletes or are they the best five, each of them at their own position, if that makes any sense? And, um, you know, I, I don't get it. Um, you know, I know Hunter Anthony from what I read, you know, post-game after the Rutgers game, he struggled a bit during the game. Um, but, you know, I've, I've heard people say that the Banks kid is playing pretty well when he's in there, um, you know, and so – I was impressed, you know, in the um, oh the not the Rutgers game. Um, oh, crap, the game before. Who'd we be before that? Indiana, uh, Indiana game. You know, I was impressed in the Indiana game when um, Corcoran got you know taken out of the game, and you know you basically had Hunter Anthony and Banks. They were in playing tackle, and there were a lot of times that. You know, they were, uh, you know, had both tackles to the same side and, and they were running some power plays that way. And, um, you know, so I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I can only know a little bit and, and sound pretty stupid talking about it, I suppose. But um, I don't know if it's X's and O's. I don't know if it's Jimmy's and Joe's. Um, it, it, but it's whatever we're doing is not working. No, I think the other part of the offensive line problem is that uh, just flat-out strength and conditioning is not very good. They, the, the Duvall, the coach that's doing that stuff, is not uh, – he's just not the guy. I mean, you, when you see our tackles, they just don't have any punch in them, and I don't, I, I don't think that's just flat-out – put it this way. When you look at our roster, I mean, we have a whole gob of guys. We physically have guys that range from, like – Six foot two forty to six six three twenty five three thirty, and you can't. I guess if you look at it and you go, you're still playing these tackles, and there's not any anybody else that you can put in and just say, okay, go in there and play. What the hell are you doing? I mean, what do you not even teach? The guys should be able to walk out, right? An offensive lineman should be able to walk out and identify his blocking by how the people are lining up in front. And and we don't even do that really very well a lot of the time. And that's that's all comes down to I I don't think our guys are stupid. They're college students for God's sakes. I, and I didn't look. And maybe they're all majoring in political science or you know education or something. <laughs> well, you know we're having a few comments talking about you know some of the same things you're discussing here. You know that our guys look soft along the offensive line, beer bellies, and that kind of thing. And I guess my take on it has been, man, I didn't think our offensive linemen looked nearly as big as you know some of the offensive lines that we faced. Um, and you know I don't know, maybe it's just perceptions or whatever, but. Um, they got to play nasty. I think that was one of the things that was an eye-opener for Nebraska against Rutgers 
and, and they knew that. They knew that Rutgers was going to be pretty damn nasty, you know, along the offensive line and the defensive line. So if our guys, you know, if they were going to stand a chance, they were going to have to scrap with those guys. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that they're going to have to con- totally evaluate their strength and conditioning program and and, um, and and probably a different philosophy about how you're going to play the offensive line. I think, you know, toward the end of that game, you're kind of looking, we have a 14 to 13 lead. We run that fourth down play that made everybody insane because we didn't, we threw the ball, I think on a fourth and one. And I yeah, probably if he just snuck twice, he'd have got it. That's your idea. But I think really all of us as Nebraskans would like to have an offense where we go, okay, we're going to run the ball and, and, you know, run out this game and run out the clock. And the honest to God truth is we can't do that. We just don't, we can't, we don't have the offensive line to do that. We don't have the, we can't line up and get three yards in a play, just running an inside zone or something. But uh, so I think really what, if, if you say, how are they going to fix the offensive line? Well, they're not. They're literally Mark Whipple as the offensive coordinator is going to have to look at what he's up against and he's going to have to mix it up with his play calling. And honestly, I think he's done a decent job to, in doing that. And I'd seen some comments about he needs to be fired, which I don't know if they mean, you know, I go on Facebook, I've told people this, I go around to the Omaha paper stuff and I look through those. And I, last night I watched Adam Carricker live because I like Adam and, uh, and he's, you know, I think he's got a good insight, but you fire Mark Whipple like now or at the end of the year or what the hell are you talking about? Because yeah, if we I, get rid I, of Mark Whipple, when are you going to have an offense? Right. You know, at this point in time, we have what we have. And, you know, whatever Coach Joseph can pull together, um, you know, with with this coaching staff and whatever they can get out of the kids, um, you know, we're going to support them. We're going to be behind them. I, yeah, I think it's foolish. I mean, if chances are, chances are, this entire coaching staff, with the possible exception of Mickey Joseph, if the rumors are true about, you know, he's got a three-year deal to stay here, um, chances are this entire coaching staff is going to be gone at the end of this year anyway. So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous to talk about firing somebody now. Jack the Ripper says, have the teams that beat Nebraska this year won a game since they committed the horrible sin of beating NU? I think Georgia Southern beat somebody, didn't they? I don't know who did, but they've won one. They're one in 11. So. I think it was Georgia Southern beat another, uh, like, I don't know, Sunbelt or FCS team or something like that. Uh, okay, let's go with the, uh, M. Gaboski. M. Goboski. Mickey Joseph gets Nebraska a bull. Should he get a contract? I'll let you answer that, Todd. Well, if if we believe the rumors, he's got a contract, you know, that he would stay here, not necessarily as the head coach, but, you know, that he would remain with uh, the University of Nebraska. Now, that being said, my opinion is only if Mickey Joseph is the best candidate that is willing to be at Nebraska. Um, you know, I understand this is an audition uh, for him, or at least that's the term that a lot of people like to use. Um, I <clears throat> personally, I'm not sold that Mickey Joseph is the best candidate for the job. Um, but, you know, you, you, you'd have to give him some serious consideration. Um, 
you know, if he's getting this team to win. Um, so I, I, I don't think he can automatically dismiss if he goes, I mean, because you get to a bowl game, you're six and six, that's a 500 season. Um, is that an accomplishment under the conditions? Probably. Uh, but probably. is it good <laughs> Yeah. Probably. Well, yes, it if would be. If he gets us to a six and six record, they, he should probably be investigated by the church for some kind of sorcery. <laughs> that would be, you know, with okay. this offensive line, I, you have to admit one thing, Todd. One thing about the last two games that we've seen is that Bill Bush has done an amazing job with the defense. Bill Bush has done a really good job with the defense. And, um, you know, that's that's the minor miracle <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Maybe not so much of a minor miracle. That is the miracle that he's got that defense. But, okay, you know, here's here's one of my bitches. You know, here we are, you know, committing double-digit penalties again, which, you know, was the huge frustration up until this year when they fired Scott Frost. I mean, the team wasn't, you know, having that many penalties. But I don't know. Maybe as much as these guys are throwing at them, who knows. But um, And I'm probably being nitpicky. And I'm the one, you know, a win's a win. And, damn it, I don't want anybody to think that I'm bad-mouthing these guys because um, I, I understand that, you know, wins aren't based on style points. You know, this isn't ice dancing. This isn't gymnastics. Uh, you know, and, and no one should apologize for a win. And I don't care how ugly the game is. Um, you know, I know that uh, I didn't watch the whole game, but all I heard about the game was how ugly it was. Ugly, ugly, ugly. And um, But you know what? Nebraska had 14 points, and they had one more than Rutgers did. And so at the end of the day, um, I'm very happy the fact that they got a win and th that they're on a two-game winning streak. Hey, you guys, if you're on YouTube watching this, could you please hit the like button on this video? Because they, does they, the YouTube algorithm then thinks you all like us, and then they'll show this to more people, which I would like very much. Uh, and if you're not subscribed to Mark, the one thing about Adam Carriker is he plugs himself mercilessly, and I love that about him, and uh, I need, need to do a better job of that. So like the channel, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. I think at some point, uh, in the next month or so, if I can figure out the software, we'll start giving away things because, you know, I know that that's one way to give pe get people to like you is to give away things. So, <laughs> okay. Cornusker Corner says, John, if we win the West, you should get a mullet. I had a mullet for many. Todd knew me as a, a mullet. I remember the I mullet. I remember that mullet. Yeah. I think I have photographs you know, of that mullet. <laughs> From your wedding. Yeah. Uh, it, here's the thing about the mullet that was a punk rock mullet and then the freaking rednecks came along and they took over the whole mullet space and everybody forgot about the punk rock mullet so when i tell people i had a mullet they're like oh well the and then they speak redneck to me and i don't know what the hell they're saying yeah jeez. Okay. you know the uh, okies from muskogee they burnt their draft cards down on main street and they didn't they didn't have long hair and then they stole all that from the liberals. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Rick Marino says, did any of you guys watch the Pittsburgh game? They ran a traditional offense, 90% of the game quarterback under center. Running back had over 300 rushing yards, uh, six touchdowns. That which, That's what you guys need to do. Well, 
offensive line has to block. (laughs) I mean, if you're talking about the future, I think the the thing about that is is uh, that kind of offense doesn't really work that well, I don't think, anymore. Even in the NFL, most of the time you're seeing most of the fantastic offenses have all moved to, like, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josie Allen. They've moved to a more spread and a mobile quarterback. And the reason for that is because the people are so much more athletic than they used to be. It, you, I mean, listen, back when, uh, let's just go the Osborne era, we had strength and conditioning. We had good coaches. But you didn't have, like, every guy be an entomacan Sue that could run down quarterbacks as a defensive lineman. And now you have guys as defensive linemen. They're, they're giant and they're athletic and they're fast. And you really can't, you really can't, uh, I don't think you'd run that kind of fence uh, and be that successful. Uh, uh, Rick replies, come on, John, don't give me that crap. It does work. The only reason you don't see it is because everybody runs the spread. It's the cool hip thing to do. No, I don't think that's true. I think they run the spread because that's the offense that is most likely to bring success. I mean, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, those guys run – most people – I mean, the fullback is a is a, a pretty much an extinct position. Uh, you know, will it Iowa go runs back? a lot of traditional yeah. offense. Yeah, Iowa – yeah, there you go. Iowa runs a traditional offense. That one for them. <laughs> Old man pointy finger. But uh, I here's the thing. I don't think it matters what scheme you run, and I'll keep doing this. Uh, I think it matters your menta- your mindset when you're you're doing a f- you're putting together a football team, and that's what we've seen between Scott Frost being fired and Mickey Joseph taking over is, and Bill Bush running the defense is we've seen a, a team that mentally is getting its crap together enough to win a road game, and don't not fall apart when they were down by 13 points, and I think that's the key to really having a successful team. And then you have to work on the rest of us. What we see publicly when we watch games is schemes. You know, we see the guy on third and two in the shotgun and we all go insane. That's the stuff we see. But I think really it's about being everybody on the same page and everybody knowing their job and trusting their teammates to, to do their jobs. And that's really kind of the problem that plagued Nebraska under, uh, I think, Frost all the way through it. Uh, I'll read this and then Todd, you can answer. <laughs> Cornhusker Corner, do you think in any way Mickey was brought in here to be our Jim Leonard? Jim Leonard's the uh, coach that's taking over in the interim at Wisconsin. Could be their next head coach. Probably will be if he has a good year. Do you think Trev had a direct hand in getting him here? Of which he means not Jim Leonard, but Mickey Joseph. So well, I talked enough, Todd. It's your turn. Well, I, I no, I don't think so. Um, I guess what I think with this is that, um, you you know, Trav may or may not had a role in getting Mickey here, but I don't think he brought Mickey here to be the interim head coach or the next day. I I had not heard Mickey Joseph's name mentioned as, you know, hot assistants primed to become a head coach. His name was not on those lists. Um, when, when you'd hear of Mickey Joseph before he came to Nebraska, it was all about, you know, just his recruiting, uh, skills and, and the fact that he was bringing in all these top notch recruits, 
Um, so I don't, I don't think it's the same situation. I, you know, Wisconsin, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week. Um, you know, Wisconsin had Jim Leonard on, on staff. And I think in large part, they, they made that decision when they did so that he wouldn't leave to go somewhere else. Um, you know, I, I don't know that keeping Mickey as the interim head coach, um, you know, I, I, I guess I don't think it's the same situation. I think the circumstances are different. Yeah, I think Mickey Joseph, somewhere along the line, said something about how he came, wanted to come to Nebraska to give back to Nebraska. So I guess, you know, I don't know how any of this is going to play out. And I'm perfectly willing to let it go. By the way, Todd, Matt Rule was fired today in the NFL. Yeah. And, Do you, you know, Matt Rule people- is a head coach. I, you know, I think he's going to be on the list. You know, there was a, a question real early on tonight about, you know, what what's his resume? I mean, why is he being mentioned? Well, Matt Rule did a really nice job um, down at Baylor, uh, and that's why he got the attention of the NFL. Um, he ran a pretty innovative offense. Of course, he had uh, uh, Dave – well, he, I, did, did he ha- – no, he didn't. Never mind. He ran a, a pretty innovative offense, and you know people liked him uh, quite a bit, and they thought you know that he was the you know the new hot shot. Um, so I think because of those kinds of successes, I think that's why he's being mentioned, you know, possibly with Nebraska. Um, so, okay. So this question: If Bill Bush can fix the defense in two games, why can't we get a new offensive line coach to fix the offensive line? I'm going to let you answer that, John. <laughs> the problem with the problem with bringing coaches in who haven't been part of the team bringing them in in the middle of the season is they have to get up to speed and by the time they're up to speed uh you know the season's over and and what i mean by this is up to speed is uh how, put it this way Let's go to the NFL for this. I say before this current crop of quarterbacks came into the NFL, uh, pretty much everybody in the NFL ran the same offense. And in the NFL, the difference, the biggest difference in the NFL and college is in the NFL, you look for matchups. In other words, how am I going to get my best wide receiver against their crappiest cornerback? And But the NFL, I mean – really ran, they all kind of ran this traditional, let's have a fullback, the quarterback under center, drop back five, drop back seven, get the ball out. It was the same shit, but everybody had different play calls. And then a lot of those systems, I mean, if you remember Bill Callahan's playbook in Nebraska, it was about this thick, ridiculous. And the problem is, is st- when you come into a team, everybody still has different ways they call plays, and j- that's just one thing. You have to learn the 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 nomenclature. You have to learn the the lingo of how the team operates, and then you have to learn, you know, what about your players? Uh, a simple example of that: when I coached soccer, I coached kids soccer. The first thing I would have them do every year as I would have them do ball taps. So I'd have like 12 kids or 13 kids lined up in front of me. And a ball tap is where you you basically take your alternating feet and you tap the top of the ball. So you're kind of dancing on top of the ball. And what that told me is which of my kids can use their feet and which cannot, which of them are coordinated and which cannot. Because 
you know, at age 10 and age 12, kids are very different in their levels of development. And then I went from there. Well, okay, a coach comes in and he's like, okay, you're asking me to fix this. Well, I got to learn all these players. I got to learn their habits. I got to learn their strengths. I got to learn what's wrong with them. And then the end of it, I can't just look at them all and go, by the way, all of you are doing this step wrong because they're not. Some of them are stepping wrong. Some are punching wrong. Some are not weak. Some can't move laterally. Some can't, you know, da 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 da. I'm milking this, aren't I? Well, the other part of this, though, is that Bill Bush has been with the team since, you know, last spring. And to bring an offensive coordinator in from the outside and expect him to turn this offensive line around in two games, not going to happen. You know, now if if there's somebody, if there's, you know, uh, an analyst or somebody like that that's on on staff that's out there every day, you know, that might have a different perspective or whatever, then, you know, maybe they might have a chance of doing that. I, I still think I, you know, we can talk about all we want to about, you know, the coaching and the technique that's it's you got strength involved. And I think Jimmy's and Joe's have to have to play something into that, too. Well, Matt M. Rule. M. Says, says, I would take Matt Rule at Michigan if Harbaugh left. You know, Matt Rule looks like an Ewok. Do you really want a guy who looks like an Ewok coaching Nebraska football? I, I think he went football games. The Empire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, wait a minute. I had some more pinned messages. Okay. Doomsday Diesel brings up something. Fire Corcoran and Ben Hart. You know what I'm going to do? I, I'm going to. I thought about this today. Uh, I'm going to do a video on what I call the rule of replacement, and it's a pet peeve of mine. And I'll just make it very simple. We always get into these things where we say this guy should be fired, but then nobody says then who the next guy. And I think it should be a general rule that if you say this guy should be replaced or fired, you have to have a name. A good name, not just, you know, Matt Rule, the Ewok, uh, comes in and coaches the team. It has to be realistic. I hate this quarterback. They should play Chubba Purdy instead. That one's pretty easy. Okay, Mark Whipple leaves the team in two weeks. Uh, okay, who's who, who do you think should be his offensive coordinator? Well, there isn't one, and nobody coming in in the middle of the season makes any sense. But you get the rule of the placement. It always drives me nuts. Uh, Fire Corcoran and Ben Hart is, I think they would if they, I just don't understand why there's nobody else there unless literally Rayola is teaching them not a damn thing. Uh, okay, we're 43 minutes in. Todd, Starlight Record Club, what's up? Purdue is going to be tough as heck. Have you paid any attention to Purdue? I've, yeah, I've, I've read a little bit about them and, and, you know, seen what they've done so far this year. Hey, every time we play Purdue, it's been, you know, a barn burner. And they've been tight games. Purdue's going to throw the ball all over the field. They're going to have a lot of misdirection. Um, you know, the question is going to be is how successful will our team be moving the ball against Purdue? Uh, thank God they don't have that Karloftis guy back. Oh, my God. We only saw him <laughs> a little bit last year. But he, he caused more when that guy was on the field, there was always some kind of a train wreck for Nebraska. I'm glad he's in the NFL right now. Uh, but I, you know, I I think um, I think Purdue's got a really good coach, um, you know, and I think they've played well. But um, you know, we'll have to see. And 
<laughs> Coach Joseph and, and, and the rest of the staff, they've done a nice job preparing, you know, um, game planning, I think, you know, the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I think the biggest question for Nebraska, quite honestly, is how long is Casey Thompson going to be healthy? And, you know, the guy's taken a beating. And I, I know that there was a point in the, the game on uh, Saturday, I, I was able to listen to a little bit of it when we were driving north. Um, but uh, there was some question whether or not, you know, he's going to make it through. He was going to make it through the game, you know, and uh, yeah. we're, we're just halfway through the season and uh, tough physical teams coming up. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. Dion Pryor says Purdue will expose our defense. You know, whoops. Uh, and then Jack uh, the Ripper says I have to pee. Do you guys do this to throw us off because you're really good at it? Okay, expose our defense. I think that our defense is playing amazingly well compared to what they were when uh, Eric Chenander was here. And I think that that's honest to God evidence of, excuse me, I think on it, it's just blunt. It, it, he was not a good coach. I don't know what he was doing on defense, but he wasn't coaching the defense or he wasn't coming up with these kind of schemes to put him in positions to be successful. Uh, well, and, uh, well, that you know, maybe, our maybe Purdue, yeah, maybe Purdue will expose the defense, but you know, it's it, whatever. I mean, Purdue's had some success moving the ball against everybody and um, they'll have some success moving it against Nebraska too. We'll just hopefully, you know, Nebraska can get a turnover here and there and, and uh, maybe, you know, force them out a few times, force them to kick a few times. Here, here's the thing. I think against Purdue, we're going to line up. We're going to play more zone. We're going to keep everything in front of us. If you'll notice, the depth charts changes came out today, and Tommy Hill is no longer listed in, as a uh, defensive back. Uh, Malkin Hartzog, the true freshman, has become somewhat of a – I don't know, a, a found diamond in the rough. I, but, you know, it's cliche, but I think he's done a good job. So defense, keep everything in front of him. Don't let it stop. going to play soft and get up, up yardage. And then up front, what they're, they're going to do what they call GATA, if I remember correct, G-A-T-A, get after their ass. And if there's one game in which O'Shaw Mathis needs to earn his Nil, nil money, this is it. This needs to be the game where uh, like guys like O'Shawn Mathis uh, put pressure on the quarterback. The thing that we faced in the last two games, we faced teams that uh, Rutgers really didn't have a quarterback. They, you know, their offense was terrible. The offensive coordinator fired. Uh, Indiana had a quarterback kind of in the making, but Purdue has a quarterback. Austin it was at Aiden O'Connell. And he can throw the ball around, and I think they're going to make plays. But then you go to the offense against Purdue, and you say, what are you going to do? Well, I don't think we're good enough to just run the ball all the time. And that's why I say we're going to have to mix it up. And that's where I think Mark Whipple is going to have to do a really good job of taking advantage of whatever Purdue gives him and really recognize it. I think Casey Thompson – is very, very good at doing his reads. I think he's very good at seeing the field. He's also, unfortunately, very good at being hit. And, uh, you know, that's the bad part of all of this is that if we even had a serviceable offensive line, I think our offense would be amazing. Uh, Thompson to Palmer is going to be the big key to this game because I don't think, I don't think they can – I don't think hardly anybody in the nation can guard Palmer. 
it, Casey Thompson doesn't have a massive arm strength to just bang the well, ball down the field whenever he wants. But uh, don't I think forget Vocalek. Don't forget Vocalek yeah. over the middle because he's you know he's become a go-to guy when you need you know that seven to to twelve yards. And uh, if he's healthy, you know you're going to see a lot of balls thrown his direction too. Oh my God. But I think it it'd be an interesting game. I I hope. I don't think that it, put it this way, I think we have enough talent to play with Purdue. As long as we can just not do dumb things like the penalties and, and turn the ball over, I think we're gonna be fine. Oh, who I'm making that up. They're gonna this is gonna be one of those games that ends up forty eight to forty seven in the third quarter or something, isn't it? I, I hope think we there's going to be a lot of points on the board. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, Wade Farr says, why did Nebraska get the block with four guys against Nebraska, three guys? If that's all you need to block a kick, why don't we do it? I think when you look at point team special teams, coaches look at uh, how the scheme is laid out. And I think what they purposely did is pulled the guy – they we have three guys and they're supposed to you know it's kind of like being on a punt team when you go down the field on a punt team they always tell you stay in your lane in other words don't cut across the field this way even if the ball's over there you have to stay in your lane until you get to a certain point down the field uh the guy that was the protector on this side came over and he shouldn't have done that and i think they did that purposely to to get him to draw over there if that's all you need to block a kick why don't we do it uh, I don't know. Maybe our opponents are better better at special. You know why? You know why? Because we're setting ourselves up for the big punt return that will win the game against Purdue this week. It's in that. Yeah, it's been years in the making, and they're finally going to pull it out. And it's going to be like Trey Palmer, Oliver Martin doing some kind of fakey thing, and then they, you know, then they return a punt for a kickoff or punt return TD. Oh my God, I'm getting worn out. Uh, but. It, it, there you go. That's why, because I don't know why, you know, I don't, if that's all you need to block a kick, why do it? Uh, other better coach than we are? Took me a while to get to that one. <laughs> well, you know, generally speaking, you know, special team coaches, they, they scout the heck out of other teams. And usually they find, you know, some kind of a weakness where, you know, they've identified uh, some little quirk in the, in the protection and they exploit it. And, you know, Rutgers did that. Iowa did that. You know, we, we, Nebraska's had punts blocked a couple of times this year. Of course, Nebraska got one too, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, can we disguise New Ely as Ben Hart and have him play instead? That's from Cornhusker Corner. That would be nice. It, everybody knows that Norden New Ely got disqualified or – uh, suspended for the year because of uh, what's the banned substances, let's say, or something he did that was bad in the eyes of the NCAA. Uh, uh, okay, Todd, do you know this one? Do you think Illinois or Minnesota will be a night game? Well, I asked the question about Illinois from our staff at Coronation, and they're pretty much convinced because of the other games that are scheduled on that weekend that Nebraska is going to either most likely pay, play the uh, mid-afternoon game or the 11 o'clock game. Um, you know, who knows? But 
Um, I can't remember. I can't remember the games that are scheduled, but they were pretty convinced that there'll be another game that's picked for the primetime game in the evening. So who's who knows? It, it seems like, you know, they all wait until, um, you know, about a week before the game and uh, then give you that kind of information. I, I'm surprised we haven't heard, though, about um, about Illinois, I guess, you know, two weeks to 10 days, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so, you know, the fact that we haven't heard about Illinois yet um, makes me wonder if they're going to wait and see how things, you know, uh, happen, how they end up this weekend and, and make their decisions. Fongway Reldman, <laughs> why did they okay beer only for volleyball and not football? Where do you think it's needed most by the fans? You know, I would guess, I would guess from having deal, dealed, having dealt with, uh, well, schools in their stadiums and having to work on wireless systems and old buildings and things like that, that the reason they okayed uh, beer for volleyball and for basketball is because those venues are fairly new and they have much more accommodation. They were built with accommodations in mind for being able to switch out vendor systems and things like that. When you are going to bring beer into Memorial Stadium, there's a whole gob of logistics that you probably have to, I don't even, they probably have to add bathroom wear. I don't know, but they, you know what I mean? There's a, a lot of different logistics about how you handle beer versus how you handle like soda or Gatorade and things like that. And that, that's kind of really probably where the biggest decision-making point, really nothing to do with whether or not fans uh, wouldn't go for it or that Memorial Stadium is a hallowed cathedral of religious study. Uh, it has to do with logistics and being able to make it work in stadium that was built in 19, a hundred years ago. I mean, well, yeah, it's really, more than really, just really old. Story. It's more than just backing up the keg truck. I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it, you know, with their systems that they're going to have to have, you know, M. Gaboski, we're, we're coming down to the end. M. Gaboski says, how is Oliver Martin still playing? He was in the same Michigan recruiting class as Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Peoples-Jones is in his third year as a Cleveland Brown. I don't know how any of this stuff works. Why is Bryce Benhart a sophomore? My God, they got the free COVID year. They got the redshirt year. I, I don't know why. It's I think Oliver Martin got a medical hardship year too, I think. I don't know that, that for sure, but I think he did. Oh, wait a minute. I, there are some other mysteries beyond the offensive line. Like, Ramir Johnson have been, hasn't even shown up this year. And I think Ramir yeah. Johnson, I thought he was one of our better players. Uh, Gabe Irvin didn't get, uh, you know, he didn't really get any game time last week. Uh, was Has Ramir Johnson I, even been in on the kickoffs the last couple of weeks? I think so. Uh, Garcia Castaneda, I think, has been injured. And there's one, Omar Manning now has is, is, uh, got injured against Rutgers. Uh, let's see. I'm thinking of one more name that we should know and we should be seeing all the time that we're not. We talked, I mentioned Tommy Hill is now a wide receiver and not a defensive back anymore, which is really kind of shocking. Uh, we're going to see how many of these guys are going to transfer out at the end of the year. <clears throat> Well, you know, Tommy Hill, you mentioned him, and, you know, they've moved him to wide receiver. He's been playing on the kickoff teams. So, I mean, he's he's still getting on the field. 
Um, okay, so Ramir didn't even travel the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that is kind yeah. of interesting. Oh, wait a minute. MK says, if Illinois day game, Halloween costume, yes or no? Are you asking, yes. am I going to wear a hot costume? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I would say well, yes. Whether it's day game or night game, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't suit for Indiana. Doomsday says, why is Yant always out until the third quarter or so? I, I, I have no idea how they're managing how these guys are getting in i you know honestly i don't know why. i like i want to see a package with logan smothers running the option <sighs> well that's uh, what chris hurt says too yeah. um <laughs> gaboski i love how colleges are holier now with beer i you know it is kind of a mystery about all that i you know it is weird. I mean, it is weird. I mean, when you go to Wisconsin, if you guys have ever been to Wisconsin at a game, you will be sitting there, and I think it's in the third quarter, they will start the eat shit, fuck you chant. And you never heard that unless you're there because they put it, you know, they do something on the TV where you can't hear it. So the first time I'm sitting there and I hear it, I'm like, what the hell is this going on? This is the funnest thing ever. Other people are offended. Their alums are offended. I, I think it's just... You know, back when I was in college, we'll end this with a, we'll do the back when we were in college, Todd story. Back when I was in college, I remember one of our guys that ran for student body president legitimately. I guess I did run legitimately, but you know, whatever. But he went around and he ha asked me to go out and take photos of all the alumni drinking in our parking lots. It's which I did. I went around and I took photos of all these guys getting drunk as shit in the parking lots. And then I went out and I took pictures after they left to show all the broken beer bottles and all the broken smashed whiskey bottles all over our parking lots at Nebraska. And he put these photos up around campus and said, why do we call ourselves a dry campus when the alumni can come in here after games and drink and leave these messes behind and leaves the shit in our parking lots where we, you know, ruin our car tires and stuff. And I don't know if I have a really good answer to this other than I, you know, I think in some places like Nebraska, it's, it's like it's a religious event instead of a social event. I did you got any thoughts on that Todd? Well, I, to be honest, I really don't care. Um, because the, the, the parking lots, it, it's not even, you, you know, it used to be in in the tailgating areas, you know, you had to have a koozie or, a, or something to cover up your beer can. I mean, it's not even an issue anymore. I mean, hell, I've seen fully stocked bars on a tailgate of a pickup, you know, and nobody's hiding that or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty hypocritical, you know, to say that, um, you know, to have the alcohol rules the way they do when, you know, the parking lots are full of it. Um, you know, whether they sell it or not at games, it's going to happen, I guess, you know, at, at some point in time. Um, I, I guess I don't see it as a big deal. Um, I'm not going to buy beer at the game. Hell, I'm not going to spend that kind of money for a beer. You know, when one beer costs more than a six pack, you know, at a convenience store, I think that's kind of stupid. Um, if I want to drink booze, at a game and and you know i drank plenty of booze at, at football games 
you know, I'll get my little half pint and I'll sneak it in and I'll dump it in a Coca-Cola just like I used to, or Pepsi or whatever it is. I mean, you know, geez Louise. Um, I, but I think too much is, I don't know. Here's, here's a thing that does bother me. And, you know, I, okay, so I'm a prude and I wouldn't have thought this in years past, but um, if there is, you know, if they do have sales, if they do have beer sales, I really do hope they sell it in cans. I hope they don't sell it in cups. We don't need a bunch of drunks sloshing their beer all over hell. I've had beer spilled on me um, from some idiot sitting behind me. Uh, and the last thing we need is, is you know, a, a family that's sitting there, you know, that are enjoying their, their first experience at a Nebraska football game only to have some drunk behind them spill a glass of beer on top of them. You know, you got to think a little bit about some of those other folks. Um, but sell it, who cares? The thing about it, and, and you know, this was, this was in the Lincoln Journal Star, them selling the beer at the basketball games and at the other venues, that money's not going to Nebraska, folks. That's going right. to the city of Lincoln. Nebraska is not going to make money on beer sales. And I don't know if the same arrangements in place, if they sell it at Memorial Stadium, I don't know what the arrangement might be down at Haymarket Park if they sell it at baseball games. But these, with these initial sales of, of beer at Nebraska events, the money goes to the city of Lincoln. Blaine Cole says, go Big Red from Japan. Thank you for joining us from Japan, Blaine Cole. And uh, I pronounced your name correctly, but kind of it's indicating that it's time to be done. What? Do you have a Purdue prediction, Todd? Yeah, Nebraska's going to win. Um, and it's going to be... It's going to be thirty something to thirty something. <laughs> it's going, there's going to be points scored. I I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, I I I'll tell you what I believe is going to happen. I believe that Nebraska is going to show up, and they're going to they're going to play hard. I think the defense uh, is going to give up some yards. Uh, I really hope that the offense can move the football, and I hope they can keep. Um, I hope they can keep Casey Thompson's jersey clean. Um, Otherwise, you know, I'm not afraid of seeing Chubba Purdy in the game. I, like you, would like to see um, – I'd like you would like to see uh, uh, Logan Smothers in the game a little bit. But Nebraska's going to win with Casey Thompson in the game. I'm going to say 45 to 42 Nebraska. And the 45th point or the 44th point is going to be scored by Trey Palm, a punt return for a touchdown, just when everything seems its darkest. And we force Purdue with like one minute and five seconds left to punt the ball to us. And everybody's like, oh, 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 what can we do? What can we do? And then Trey Palmer, jam. Doomsday no. Diesel says, please make and sell shirts that say, fuck everything, go Big Red. I've considered that, but I keep thinking the go Big Red is going to get me in trouble uh, because I've done other things that got me in trouble with the athletic department where they said, you can't sell, you can't do that. I mean, they're never mean about it. The athletic department's always been very nice to me. Uh, okay. Is there anything else you have, Todd? I don't – I got a lot, but not anything I want to talk about for the rest of the evening. So, you know, I'm old, John. I'm old. You're only There's been a lot of good questions tonight. You should, you should capture some of these questions so we can start off next week with some of them. 
I thought about doing a reaction video to some of the comments on YouTube. Uh, okay. Good night, Todd. Hey, good night, John.